Our scripture reading today is Psalm 139. This is a beloved psalm I've heard many times and a familiar psalm for many and a psalm worth reflecting on as it actually inspires us to reflect further as well. So here, the word of God, Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. If anyone's wondering, this thing needs a cup holder. That'll do it. Looks like a prop. I'm not going to talk about my water bottle. So self-examination. If you are here, and maybe you can put the camera on that cool picture, because this person, in looking at themselves, is not just seeing themselves, they're seeing all kinds of other people. So as we talk about self-examination today, we aren't simply going to think about what we can see of ourselves in ourselves. We're going to realize that who we are is shaped by all kinds of other people. Your parents, your grandparents, people you may have never met, people who uh, live among you, people in this community, people who have blessed you and taught you and guided you. Of course, also people who've hurt you and challenged you and um, caused you to feel negative feelings, all those kinds of things. But as we look at ourselves, those people are all kind of there with us. 
So it's New Year's Day, and so on New Year's Day, we get to look forward, which is sort of my favorite thing of doing. I'm not much of a past looker. Um, so looking forward and wondering, what are our next steps? What else can we do? How else can we grow in this journey with Jesus is the kind of thing we're going to focus on today. And in order for us to move forward, it's required that we take some time to look at ourselves and understand who we are and what God is doing in our lives. And I think Psalm 139 will do a great job of taking us there. First, a little bit about psalms in general. Psalms, I would say, are emotive, spiritual poems. And as you may have noticed, I always think it's important that we know what kind of Bible stuff we're working with as we think about it because it shapes how we think. So, for example, in this poem, it's going to say a little later that God knit me together in my mother's womb, right? And if you, for some reason, think that poems and science are the same thing, you're going to think that somehow when you were yet unborn, God was inside of you with knitting needles and a little bit of yarn and making you. And, of course, none of us think that because we know this is a poem. But there are other places where in poetry we try to take theological truths that are actually images, and, and we, we get it a little bit mixed up. So I just want to point out, this is a poem. We're going to treat it as a poem because it's mostly about how we feel about things. It's not a law, for example. The Psalms, for example, the longest Psalm, 119, talks all about the law. But what does it say about the law? It says, I love the law, I honor the law, right? It's an emotive, spiritual conversation about the law without ever giving us a whole bunch more laws right? And again, this is emotive. It's emotional. It's connected to how we feel, right? And if I may be so bold, there's a fair number of people here who grew up in the Dutch Reformed tradition, and emotion is not actually our thing, in case you didn't know that. I'm going to just point that out. And so psalms, ironically, are some of our favorites because they do it for us, right? You'll notice psalmists get angry, right? Psalmists also just pour out and gush with joy and excitement, and they do a great job of being incredibly honest with God, where some of us who are more theologically and mind-oriented would want to explain what's going on with God. He's got all things in his hands. Whereas the psalmist goes, where in the heck are you, God? Come on, let's go. This is not the way it's supposed to be. All right, so that is psalms. Now this psalm, it starts by telling us that we are known by God. And that is a relational truth that we need to hang on here. God knows us. It's not that God knows my address and my name and how tall I am and how much I weigh and all those things. He does. But known by God, known in the Bible, is actually always a very intimate kind of reality. You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You're familiar with all my ways. It's like when you're in love with somebody, you watch them, right? And, and you love the way they walk and you love all kinds of goofy things about them that other people don't even know because you know them, and you want to know them better, and so you can see their particular style, their particular way of doing things. I love hockey. When I watch hockey, if I'm watching people I know, I don't need to read the name on their back or see the number on their back to know who they are. I can tell by the way they skate, right? I know them in that kind of way. God knows you, not necessarily mostly about, you know, the details of your life. He knows you because he loves you, and he wants to be familiar with all your ways. Now, I think this next slide, it might be me projecting, so you have to see if this is true for you as well. When I first heard these words, you hem me in behind and before, you lay your hand upon me, I thought that was a little bit intimidating, right? And I think it works sort of like this. I really want to walk around, Andrew. Do I have to stay here? 
Yeah, okay. I can do this. When, when somebody is safe to you, when somebody loves you and, and you know that love, you don't mind them being in your space, right? You don't mind them touching you, hugging you, embracing you. When somebody isn't safe for you, you don't want them in that space. That's normal, that's natural, that's how we are. I wonder with the questions, is this an intimate or an intimidating thing to you? Is this a close thing or a controlling thing to you? How you respond to the idea that God hems you in behind and before and he lays his, his hand upon you, he sees everything that you do. I'm reading a novel right now in which a young girl loses her parents and she's given comfort or someone tries to comfort her with the statement, yeah, but your mom and dad are up in heaven now and they can see everything you do. And she's going, oh no, I can't even hide in my bedroom anymore. Now they're gonna know everything that I'm doing all the time, right? And I think that's important for us to process. If that's our view of God, if we see God as the one who's watching over everything we do and going, oh, oh look what they're up to now. If that's your, your relationship sense with God, then yeah, this might be a little bit too intimidating, a little bit controlling, a little bit too much presence of God. But when you understand again that, you know God made you, right? We're going to get to that in, these, in this verse or in this uh, psalm. You know that he loves you. You know that his intention for you is that you become exactly who you're meant to be because it's his intention that you become that person. When you know that, then you know also that when God is watching you, he's watching you with love and excitement and anticipation, not to catch you or trip you up or wonder what in the world you're doing, but to help you get exactly where you are meant to be. And by the way, if you need to grow in your ability to allow God to be deeply present to you and not be intimidated by that, if that's a growth area for you, try this. Find somebody you trust. You can pick me if you trust me. And share with them some of those things that you don't want God to see. It's called confession, by the way. And as you do that, I will guarantee that if it's me, I won't go, Oh, get away. No, I'll go, okay, thank you for sharing that. Let's unpack that. Let's bring that before God. Let's let him bless you and love you. Because even in our messiness, we need to understand, right? God loves us and wants to draw near to us. He doesn't want to intimidate us. He wants us to draw us into a place where we find health and freedom and wholeness and all those good kinds of things. He wants to be one who when he lays his hand on us, we don't go and shudder, but when he lays his hand on us, it's like, oh, good, this is the beginning of an embrace. And this one, rhetorical or rebellious. I think you can read these words as, as if Jonah is saying them. Jonah who, instead of going to Nineveh over land the way he was told to, went by ship to Joppa and ran away. Maybe he was saying, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? But actually, the psalmist isn't trying to head us in that direction. He's going, you know what? There's nowhere that you're not with me. There's nowhere that you're not paying attention and guiding and walking alongside me um, and being present to me. In fact, it goes like this. It's really a transformative presence. That's what God is to us. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. That's Christmas coming back again, right? Who God is is the one who takes the darkest moments of our lives and our, and our, our um, journey and shines light on them. 
right? He's the one who can come into that place of, of depression and anxiety and, and brokenness in our lives and say, I have hope for you. I have peace for you. I have truth for you. I can, God says, turn this darkness into light, right? And so again, God's presence, his watching us, his presence for us in all these things, his paying attention to our lives is one of loving intimacy in which he says, I want to enter into your life in such a way that you feel and experience the goodness of my love for you. And though I'm guessing that intellectually everything I just said is pretty straightforward and pretty clear, I want to emphasize this. This is not an intellectual problem. It's usually a heart problem. The real question is, how do you feel around God and his presence? How do you experience that in your um, daily journey, day by day? Well, someone's had enough of me, so. I never get, you'll be back, all right, thanks. (laughs) I don't take it personally. So appreciating first, first formation. I didn't stumble on my keypad there, I meant two firsts in there. So first formation is your early life, how you were formed, how your parents raised you, the culture that you grew up in, right? Those kinds of things are your first formation. The psalmist wants to point us to, there's a first, first formation, there's God's forming of you. I praise you because I am fearfully, fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well, right? When we process our lives, when we think back on the past year or all the past years, we can probably remember some aspects of our journey that were tough and broken and challenging, and those have shaped us, and those are the things we need to unpack in a way that allows God's spirit to come and heal and restore us. But who we are in Christ, how we were created in the first place, is fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a gift from God, and God only makes good and beautiful things. Again, not hard to understand mentally, but this is the core of our journey of journey to healing and following Christ is getting past our brokenness to the origin of things at creation. Ruthann told me that when we did the lessons and carols this year, we started with creation, and that's the first time we've done that, and historically, all um, lessons and carols start with the fall, and I think that's tragic. It's like we're starting with, I was created broken, and then we move towards healing. No, 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 you were created good, that's God's word for you. Then there is the brokenness, and the redemption. So you got creation and redemption already, overcoming that brokenness in the middle. We need to, again, continue to focus on, lean on, and live into what's the healing and recreative process of God in Jesus Christ. Going back to your first first formation, God created you to be a wonderful and amazing human being exactly the way you are meant to be that person. His final word on you is not, you are broken. And then this foreknowledge stuff, is this relational or static? Let me unpack that for you. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You remember last year for Cadet Sunday, Pastor Peter Cranenberg and I sat up here and discussed God is in control, right? And this is that kind of language again. And I think we always have to be careful with it, so I want to reemphasize this. 
saying that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be can sound like if God would play the recording of my life, he could have played it before I was born. That God knew that on January 1st, 2023, I'd be standing here preaching on Psalm 139. That's been pre-written. I'm not sure that's a helpful way of understanding God. If it's that static, if it's that pre-planned, then I can just do whatever I want because God has pre-planned it's all going to be there. What we need to lean into is the relational side of this, right? So our kids are home this week, and thankfully they have a mom who has an itinerary, and it's on the fridge, so they know what's going to happen. Now, my kids also, of course, are my children, which means you probably know they're not going to follow that itinerary exactly. Don't tell Ruth Ann, right? When we interact with God in a relationship, he has a plan for us. He gives us days. He brings us into this world. He sends us on our way. But he's not telling us exactly how to live out that itinerary. He's giving us the freedom of relationship. His itinerary for us is, I am going to pour love into you. I'm going to give you opportunity after opportunity. I'm going to give you days and a world and relationships and connections. And I'm calling you. I'm inviting you. I'm pleading with you when I have to receive this love, enter this life, live into this as fully as you possibly can. He has all that stretched out for us. But he hasn't minutely detailed everything so that it doesn't matter what you do because God's pre-planned it. That's an unhealthy overzealous understanding of God's foreknowledge, all right? And then starting fresh with God daily. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. And there's some confusion about the translation on this. The suggestion is that really what God is saying, what the psalmist is saying is, God, you have a lot of thoughts about me. How amazing it is that you Think about me and us all the time. And then I love this part, the last of 18. When I awake, I am still with you. Because you know, one of, the, one of the things that sleep is for us is a symbol or a recognition or a repetition of the core, understand, the core idea in the Bible, which is death leads to resurrection, right? When you sleep, you die to the world. Not literally fully, of course, right? But you're, you're not there. You're out. And then when you rise again, it's like this new birth, this new day, this new opportunity in order to enter into all that God has in store for you. The Jewish Sabbath started at sundown. The first thing you did in the Jewish Sabbath was you slept, you rested, you went into the death of sleep so that you could be resurrected on a new day to do all that God had in store for you. That's the image around that. We are called as we allow God to search us and know us, to start with him and reflect with him each day anew. And then this. I'm going to admit something. I have read Psalm 139 to people in their homes when only I had the Bible open and skipped these verses. They just seem so out of place, right? Now, I'm going to also tell you that's wrong. That's not helpful. You first have to explain these. So if I don't feel like explaining them, I'd rather skip them, but I'm going to explain them to you because they're so important. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Where's the happy psalmist saying, hey, you knit me together in your womb and everything's going great. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? Right? I don't know about you, but I think we teach our children now, right? Don't say I hate you. The psalmist, they never obey the rules, right? They are passionate people. 
So this psalmist who's been going on and on about God knowing me and God giving me a beautiful life and having deep awareness and, and compassion for me just starts ripping a strip off of everybody around him who he considers evil, right? And you got to wonder, when a psalm takes that strong of a turn, what's going on? What's he trying to get across, right? Well, I think if we keep reading as we get to the last part of this psalm, it sort of helps us understand. Tell me if it doesn't. Hate the hate within. Because right after saying, don't I hate those who hate you, O Lord, the psalmist says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You're getting the emphasis here, right? See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. I think it goes like this. There is nothing wrong with noticing what's wrong in the world around us. It's inevitable that you're going to notice things that are wrong in the people around you because all of us have things that are wrong with us. Always start with remembering Jesus' words, judge not that you be not judged, and the measure you use to judge other people will be used against you. Do not judge is his challenge to us. But that awareness is going to be there. And in that awareness, you can feel, boy, I wish that person didn't have that brokenness in them. I wish that the system wasn't as broken as it is. But the work you need to do is the only work you can do, would you say, God, search me, look inside me. Maybe the line between good and evil actually runs straight down me. It's not I'm good and that person's evil. It's I have good and evil in me. And so God, as I recognize horrible things in the world all around me, give me the wherewithal to at least pause and wonder, what of that actually lives in me? What do I need to deal with? Because one of the things you need to deal with, and I'm working on this one, so um, I will share it with you. So we all want people, I keep teaching you, we need to love people, right? Even people who disagree with us and think differently than us. I don't know about you, but my natural reaction of somebody who thinks different to me is not to love them or their ideas, but to push them away and stay away from them, Right? Part of this ongoing journey is I think something's wrong in them. And if God's command is love your neighbor as yourself, then my not wanting to hang on to anybody means there's something wrong with me. It means I'm not fully in tune with who God is. And so search me is saying, God, I've noticed evil around me. Help me to pay attention to the fact that I want to push that away. I want to push them away. Help me to hang on to the appropriate relationship with this person one that is shaped by you. And to do that, I've got to go, why did that trigger me? Because maybe you've noticed this, not everybody triggers everybody in the same way, right? I think that person is terrifying. Somebody else thinks they're fun. You know, oh, wait a minute, I should pay attention. What's going on in me that shapes the way I respond to that other person? Lord, see if there's any offensive way in me and allow me to pay attention to what's going on inside. Strange, right? Every time you see brokenness, evil in anyone or anything in this world, God calls you to ask him to search you, to work on me, to heal what's going on inside of me that my response may be healthy and whole and true. And here's a little practical way to do that. as small for you as it is for me, right? 
It's all online, folks. Pattern for practice. This is called an examine, which sounds a lot like examine because it's just Latin for the English word examine. And this is about examining yourself. It's about saying, God, search me. And I want to recommend to you that as we go on this journey of loving one another, as we continue to work on not just knowing that, that's the easy part, but doing that, engaging in that with other people, that this might be a helpful tool for you to um, jump into. So the first thing you need to do is let God search you. Search me, O God, as Psalm 139 says, which means you need time in your life when you're quiet. And for many of us, our quiet time is actually a noisy time, right? So in your quiet time, you read words and, and you think of things and, and you, you manage stuff through your mind and your head, even if you do it without your voice. Let me suggest that part of everyone's quiet time should also be the time where you just sit and listen and let God show up. So if you read a devotional and there's a prayer in there, when you've done those things, spend some time wondering, what's God saying to my heart in that? What's grabbing my attention? Right? If you see my generic small group questions, they always start with, what in the sermon or the passage jumped out at you? That might just be God grabbing your attention on something you need to pay attention to. Spend some time in silence. Let God search you. And then the first formation stuff. When you start to notice that God keeps bringing up that, man, you were impatient there, and you were impatient there, and you were impatient there, and you were impatient there, you might think, I think God wants me to deal with my impatience. Very good. And then wonder, where does that come from? Maybe your mom and dad were impatient. Maybe they're incredibly calm, but somebody who was teaching you was impatient, and you learned that if you don't hurry up, you're not going to be a valuable person. Who knows? Could be all... Talk about that with God. Think about all the things that happened along the way. And I know it sounds like I'm telling you to blame your parents. You don't get to blame your parents. They did what they did. We did what we did, right? You now need to go, how am I going to respond? What am I going to do to deal with that first formation? And then, whatever is evil worth hating, since those are the words from the psalm, right? Whatever is broken in you, whatever God helps you search out, Confess those things. Recognize that you've probably made statements in your life in which you say, I am never going to be like my pick a person, right? And when you make that kind of a vow, especially if you've inherited stuff from them, you can't keep that vow because you've inherited stuff from them. You need to process that. You need to say to God, God, I'm sorry I made that vow, right? I will never get angry in public. It's not a helpful vow because you might get angry in public and then there's a lot of messy stuff there. Undo those things that you have tried to live by in your own strength. And then in response to those things, or instead of those things, what's God's truth for you? What's God's truth for you? What is he saying to you that allows you to be the person that he actually means you to be? Right, and as I've said a few times, I've been working on this with a group of people, um, doing this kind of stuff for, for my life. If you want to go on this kind of a journey, where you spend your time in silence, but when we gather, we have a conversation about what are you hearing, what's going on, please ask me. Nothing gives me more pleasure than walking a journey with people, trying to figure out what do they need to hear from God, what does that mean, helping them be accountable for working that forward. Nothing gives me more pleasure than that opportunity, all right? And once you find those truths, you just do the cycle again. Because my mentor in this group that I'm in has been doing this for, I think, 10 years, and says, yeah, some of the stuff, it's better, but I still have those same slips and those same kind of challenges, but I'm growing 
This is our ongoing journey, letting God search us, hearing his truth in place of the lies that we might believe about ourselves or about life, and then continually putting ourselves in his hands and going, I live by grace. I live by God continually searching me out. I live by each new day waking up and realizing this is the day God has made for me. I'm going to enter it with all that I have so that I can rejoice and be glad in it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you search us and you know us. And you're aware that we have a hatred for the things that are horrible. And you have an awareness that we also need you to search us and to show us our anxious thoughts and to help us deal with our responses and who we are. Lord, we pray that in this new year, as we continue a journey of learning to be deeply loving of all whom we meet, we pray that you would guide us and shape us and that you'd give us the boldness to put in place practices that allow us to examine our lives and live more fully in tune with what you have in store for us. Guide us, we pray, in your holy name. Amen.